Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. Today we're talking about one of the most difficult but universal tendencies we experience, people-pleasing. Our guest is Megan Weinstein of Chicago, who shares about her journey practicing Buddhism and how chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo helped her identify and tackle the feelings that for too long led her to live her life based on other people's opinions. For anyone who has ever felt like they are supposed to show up in a certain way rather than as your true precious self, this episode is for you. Here's Megan. So my name is Megan Weinstein. I am calling from Chicago um, and uh, I am currently a data analyst at a software company um, and I'm 33 years old. Amazing. Thank you again for taking the time to have this conversation. I know we're going to kind of get into some some real stuff, some personal stuff that I can relate to. I'm sure many other people will be able to relate to. So uh, right off the bat, thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. Um, but before we get into today's episode, I always like to start with just context on how you came to Buddhism, why you started chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. Um, and I know it, it started early for you. So um, yeah, if you could just tell us the brief story, like how did you first encounter Buddhism? And when you did start chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, why? Like what was going on in your life at the time that you were interested? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So um, I was actually raised in a Buddhist household. Um, so my father had started practicing Buddhism. He had encountered it when he was, I believe, right around 19 years old. He was quite young and going through a lot of like really intense and heavy things in his own life. Um, and um, so he began practicing and was able to make such incredible strides and transformation for himself that um, uh, he and my mom, who is um, agnostic in her belief system, chose to raise me and my siblings in a Buddhist household. Um, what was interesting about that is that we were actually being raised um, in a very small town in Wisconsin among the cornfields. There was just 2,000 people in the town. And so um, I really relied a lot on my dad um, for encouragement and guidance, especially in those formative years. Um, and as far as like when I started chanting, I kind of always chanted in a way, right? Kind of similar to how children are taught to pray at a very young age um, when they're brought up in Judeo-Christian religions. Mm -hmm. Um, I was taught how to chant um, very, very quickly um, and always really enjoyed kind of the religious aspect of my life. But I think I really started to take the practice seriously for myself closer to like 16, 17 years old um, after kind of a, a really intense conversation with my father where he shared about his own struggles and how this practice works and really challenged me to test it. Um, And so that's when I really started to actually challenge it for myself. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So you started as a teenager, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's different for everyone who's born into a family that practices. So uh, I'm always so curious to kind of hear like what made it stick or not stick. Um, So, so at 16 or 17, when you first tried it out, like, do you remember what happened? Was it something specific you chanted about? Like what made you decide that, okay, I'm going to actually continue into adulthood? Yeah. So it's, it's such a pivotal and like deeply memorable moment of my life when I really decided to test it and really be like, okay, like if I'm going to be a Buddhist, let's like be a Buddhist, right? Not just, um, enjoy the meetings with my, with my dad. 
Um, so I had always battled um, really poor health as a child. Um, and so was I was just, I was always sick, right? Anything that was out in the universe, I got it. I got every strep throat, every ear infection, every everything. Just had an incredibly weak immune system. And so right around, it was 16 or 17, I was, I was sick with a very high fever. And my dad came to um, bring me medicine. And that was when we had, I guess, like, the Buddhist equivalent of a come to Jesus talk, right? Quote unquote, where he was kind of like, what, like, what's the matter with you? Like, let's go. You have this practice. Like, why are you just suffering? And I hadn't really ever considered that my health was something I could change, right? Mm -hmm. Like my health just was, I'd always been sick. I'd always dealt with this. And so the thought of transforming it was so far out of like how I saw my own power, you know, and my own capacity. And so um, that was the first thing I challenged. And I was like, okay, like I am going to completely overcome, completely overcome like this, these challenges in my health and I'm going to be happy and healthy and carefree, like all the other teens um, in my environment. And I remember very vividly, it was uh, a couple of years of really battling it, but um, my freshman year of college, uh, that spring, I remember walking across the quad and calling my dad and saying, dad, do you know what today is? He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What is today? So today has been one year since I've gotten sick. And that was oh, unheard wow. of for me. Unheard of, right? Like I had never spent an entire year without getting sick. And that to me was the first really deep actual proof of the practice in my own life. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm so like curious to know what your dad's experience of that, of witnessing that was. <laughs> um, but that's a great, yeah, great story to, to start with. Um, yeah. Do, do you remember just one more follow up on this? Yeah. Like, you know, to sit down and chant consistently is not easy necessarily, no. right? It's like a daily practice. Do you remember like, was it easy for you to get into it? Or like, do you remember how you felt like, like the actual chanting itself, um, day to day? So it was challenging. It certainly wasn't every day, right? I was very inconsistent. Um, it was mostly my dad being like, okay, time to chant. Um, and chanting together with him next to me was, that always felt easy, right? Because no matter what you had, like this strong force who saw the best in you sitting right next to you at all times. Mm. Um, but I, it was also like a very clear memory the first time he got up to like, he went to go to the bathroom or get a glass of water while we were chanting and I had to chant alone for the first time in that room. And the sound of my own voice, I, I couldn't very, I couldn't keep consistency. I was like all over the place and was really kind of stressed out about it because I, I realized I'd relied so much on, on kind of his life force um, to kind of like pull me along as I was chanting. And that's when I started to like ask him to leave more often and be a little bit more um, resilient on my own two feet when he wasn't around, when he was at work or things like that. Mm. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because I, I think that is a question that actually comes up a lot in people's minds when they start. And I, I have so many friends too who've started chanting, but like the the to be comfortable with the sound of your own voice out loud for an extended period of time is it's it's a unique experience you know it is like a relationship you're developing <laughs> <Yeah>. with yourself <laughs> um but yeah thank you so much for for sharing yeah. that context and i know um we'll get more into kind of different things that that changed in your life but i do want to introduce today's theme first. And so we had a previous very brief conversation about this. And today we want to sort of unpack um, 
I mean, I guess, as we were saying, your relationship with yourself. And so, you know, sometimes um, to really love yourself and accept yourself the way you are is difficult. And, um, you know, as opposed to how you think you should show up in the world, how you think you should show up in certain spaces. And I know that this has been like a core journey for you. And Buddhism has played a very large role um, in that journey. So can we just kind of start at the at the beginning? Like what did... um, what did the struggle look like for Megan when it came to your relationship with yourself and how you found yourself showing up in, in different spaces um, in a way that I, I guess, you know, eventually caused quite some suffering? Yeah. So it's, it's a great question. I, I've been reflecting a lot on um, kind of what that really looks like as far as condensing down, you know, 33 years of, of challenging, of challenging um, this, this one obstacle in my life. But um I think it all boils down to this idea that um, at the heart of it, I've, I've always been um, quite the people pleaser, right? Um, and uh, very naturally, just kind of who I am and think of the skin I was born into is a bit of an empath and always found um, a lot of joy and focus out of helping others, being a source of joy for my environment. Um, and, you know, in Buddhism our personality traits are neither good or bad as they are, right? Um, But it's the way that we manifest them in our lives that either can serve us and serve others or hinder us and hinder others. And, you know, like this idea that a really fierce demeanor can be used for destruction or it can be used to fight for justice. And I think similarly, um, I really love so many aspects of my personality and how caring I can be. Um, Mm. But that was also coupled with a very deep lack of self-esteem and this sense of um, like, you know, tendency, a tendency to diminish myself um, and believing that like being a good quote unquote or helpful quote unquote person was the way that you were supposed to be in the world. That was the way you were supposed to show up as a good person. Um, And so I think over, you know, many years of being validated when I behaved in those ways it morphed into this really deep desire to always kind of prove my worth and to to prove my value to everybody, even at the expense of my own joy. Um, because what others saw in me was more important than what I saw in myself. Hmm. Yeah, wow. I feel like you just explained that so um, succinctly. And yet I imagine it must have taken quite a long time for you to realize that that's what was happening because it often is the case that, yeah, the forces that you're, you're, that are at play in our lives are very difficult for us to see. Mm -hmm. And like, um, Buddhism often begins with an uncovering process if you're like, what do I need to transform? (laughs) So, um, before we get to that though, if you're comfortable sharing like an example or just to make it a little bit more concrete, like, do you Mm -hmm. remember, um, a time or a place or a situation or a sphere of life in which this kind of tendency was, was showing up just so we can, maybe other people can relate to. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, like as a youth, it was always with school, right? Like I was a straight A student and I had to get the lead in the musical, which I never did because I'm terrible at singing. And that would like completely erode my self-esteem, right? The fact that I didn't get the lead in the musical because that was how you showed up as valuable mm-hmm. or having straight A's was how you showed up as valuable or that kind of morphed um, in my adolescence. And as I started my career into like, I had to have a career where I gave of myself entirely because that was what was admirable, 
mm-hmm. right? Going into the corporate sector and having health insurance <laughs> and the things that we actually may really want in our lives. Um, those were secondary to appearing as a good person. Um, and it showed up in every aspect of my life, but I think especially in my career and my relationships um, was kind of a bit of a, a facade, even though at the time I just was like, I'm a great person. Mm. And what kind of like work were you doing at the time or what, what was the choice that mm. you had made then that wasn't what you wanted? So I won't say that it's something I didn't want, right? I think I genuinely wanted it, but the way that I showed up within it um, didn't didn't actually serve me in any way, shape. Um, and so I, um, in the trajectory of my career, I landed in the education nonprofit sector. And um, I was really proud of myself for becoming a director at my organization. And um, especially in my most recent nonprofit job was working um, towards early literacy um, in low-income schools. And the work itself was incredibly rewarding work, but it was my entire identity, which Mm -hmm. meant that if I didn't succeed well at something in work or if things were rocky at work, um, it would undermine my entire confidence in myself Mm -hmm. rather than being able to say like, it's okay to fail forward. It's okay to be a much more dynamic person than how you present. Um, But it was all because I wanted so desperately for the validation that I was worthwhile, that I had value. Um, And so although I really genuinely loved the work and um, I still hold a very fond place in my heart for where I was at that time, um, I recognized that it was um, a way to be able to keep appearances, even though at the root of it, I was really suffering. Mm, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I feel like, oh my gosh, so many people can relate in their own way to that. Okay. Amazing. Um, so yeah, maybe we can, uh, again, like as much as you're comfortable sharing, mm-hmm. but at um, like before you began to use Buddhism to tackle this? Like what did Mm. the suffering look like in your life at its peak? Yeah. So I think, um, kind of like building upon just, you know, the work aspect, it was, it was so much bigger than that, right? I was applying myself in a million different ways in my life, um, and running and filling my schedule with all sorts of things that, um, I thought, made me look valuable. And I, I enjoyed doing a lot of it, right? I don't want to take away from the fact that this was actually really wonderful things, but they were driven by like the wrong intent, you know? So I was, um, you know, working in this nonprofit sector. I um, was trying really hard to like be a very valued member of the community. I was mentoring middle school youth during my lunch hours. And then I was like founding young ambassadors programs to fight racial injustice after work. And I was, um, you know, very active in my Buddhist community as well and running very hard there. Um, and, you know, even in like my romantic relationships and my friendships, I just, I poured and poured and poured myself out into everybody's needs and everybody's wants and everybody's life. Um, and, you know, I look back at that time of my life and on paper, man, I had it all right. Like on paper, I was rocking it. This was a great life. But if you were to actually check under the hood, like (laughs) it was just, it was all a mask and I was suffering so, so terribly. Um, although I was really passionate about my work, um, my workplace was a really miserable place to be. My Mm -hmm. boss, um, 
really showed no respect for me. And um, it really just, it drained so much of the joy and the satisfaction of contributing to this really important work. Um, and every morning I just, I woke up with so much dread in my heart. I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to face the verbal attacks that I knew were going to come. Even the thought of brushing my teeth some morning, just, it felt like too much to bear, you know, mm-hmm. like that really deep level of just battling your own like darkness and negativity. Um, I was having panic attacks under my desk. Hmm. Um, my relationship with my boyfriend of four years was starting to kind of fall apart because I had been like, hi, like we've been together for so long. How about we maybe think about marriage or spending a life together? And he simply couldn't commit. So I was like always in this headspace of trying to prove myself. Like I'm worth marrying, right? I'm worth I'm worth it. I'm worth it. I'm worth it. Um, a lot of my friendships were very surface level. Um, so the kind of people who could be a lot of fun to spend time with, but if you weren't able to meet their expectations, they kind of disappeared. Um, or kind of long-term friends who just couldn't show up anymore. Mm. And so I was incredibly lonely. And um, I hid so much of that pain because, again, it didn't fit the narrative of my perfect life. And so I would suffer behind closed doors. And, um, yeah, it was just like it was so hard. Every day was such a battle with myself. Mm. Yeah, I completely hear you. And thank you for sharing all of that so honestly. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild how, um, man, everything is dictated by like what's going on internally. It's just such a mm-hmm. testament to that, you know, uh, which can, um, you know, really put the power back in our hands when we do find ourselves struggling. Um, so I, I know that all of this uh, or most of this has changed since then. So I'm very excited <laughs> yes. to hear sort of um, the the kind of yeah, that journey. But um, mm. was there, uh, yeah, like, what sort of led you to decide that you either needed to apply yourself to your Buddhist practice afresh to tackle this or in a new way? Mm. You know, like, what was sort of the turning point in terms of doing something about this private struggling? Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the things that I hold very dear about, like, the way that we practice Buddhism um, is that you you don't do it alone, right? We're in this incredible community of practitioners. Um, and um, part of that is to be able to hold ourselves accountable, right? I, I was suffering so much, but it was like the idea that your eyelashes are so close, you can't even see them. Right? I knew mm-hmm. I was suffering, but I couldn't really connect that, right? To anything really that was happening in my life. Um, and, uh, I actually, you know, um, met with a, a friend in faith in the Buddhist community and she was the first one to really be able to see right through me. I was mm-hmm. kind of expressing to her like all the wonderful things that I was doing in my life, right? Like here I am so great. And instead of like being impressed by me or complimenting me on all the fantastic things that I was doing, um, she really like firmly, but like warmly explained that like, I needed to understand what was the essential source of my suffering in life. Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, all of these things that I were doing, I was doing, 
I was giving so much of myself to everybody in my environment, but I had absolutely no concern for my own happiness. All the things that I was doing was for everybody else. Um, but she could see that I, I really, I was suffering terribly. And I think that that moment and that conversation was this wake up call of, wait a minute, like the purpose of Buddhism isn't to suffer through life. So clearly there is something awry here, even if I've been unwilling to see it or unable to see it before mm -hmm. this. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's like <laughs> something major to point out to somebody. Right? How did you receive that observation? I mean, honestly, I think it was a relief because someone saw through the, the game that I was playing. Right. And I didn't even know that I was mm -hmm. playing a game. Right. And it's to feel seen is, is such, um, such a beautiful thing in life. And when you hold everything so close to be seen is rare, you know, mm -hmm. because how can someone see you if you're not allowing them to look? Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, it took me time. It wasn't like I went right back to chanting immediately about transforming my life, but within the next month or so, I was like, oh, wow, like really reflecting on that conversation. Hmm. The purpose of this practice isn't to suffer. The purpose of this practice is to become happy. And if I'm not doing that, how can I possibly inspire anybody else in my life, no matter what I'm doing? Yeah. But at the same time, at that moment, I still didn't know what the problem was, right? I still was like, I don't know why I'm suffering. My life is perfect. This makes no sense. Mm. And it was really through um, like really chanting with an incredibly focused prayer to to really root out what the source of my suffering was, right? Like, why is every day so painful? Why is it so hard to wake up? Why am I encountering these bosses who are so <laughs> awful and so mean? And why am I in a relationship where I just simply can't get my needs met, right? Because we know that our environment is a reflection of ourselves. And so mm. like, why was my environment so awful if I saw myself in such a good light? Um, mm. And what I kind of realized is that you know, over time, and this is, you know, maybe, maybe six months of chanting about this, right? It was really, it took time for me to like weed this out and define the space um, to be real with myself and to be honest with myself. Um, but I realized at some point that I had really built my entire identity off of this sense of self of who I appeared to be to others because I had such little self-esteem and such little love for myself. And I realized that like my life didn't feel worthy of respect unless I was always proving that it was. Hmm. Right, A single day off could unravel me. I had to be proving my value. And um, that's, in this Buddhism, um, a consideration of like really disparaging your own life, right? Mm -hmm. And like really hurting yourself when you fail to see your value. Um, and so I think, you know, as I really chanted to to start to like understand who I was as a Buddha, to see my Buddha ability, to see that I was like a worthwhile human just because I breathe, just because I exist, that I started to really understand that the mistreatment that I received at work was really 
just a reflection of how poorly I treated myself, Mm. right? They were just treating me exactly the way that I treated me. And the lack of love that I had in my relationship came from the same place, this refusal of from myself to love myself exactly as I was. And it was that my internal state had diminished my value, had diminished my light, had diminished my worth so deeply that of course my environment showed the same thing. Mm-hmm. How could somebody value me if I don't value myself? Yeah. Yeah. You're this hearing all of this is making me want to like go chant right now. <laughs> Cause it's so, so real. It's an ongoing thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I, um, I, I do want to call one thing out and then I, yeah. I have a follow-up question about this, but you, you mentioned, you know, just like this, this person who was able to sort of see through you and like really mm. see you and point this out and how wonderful it feels to be seen. But it also strikes me that like this, I guess what, six months or so of you really chanting about this was the process of you seeing yourself, you know, like yeah. how good that also must feel, even if what you're seeing <laughs> is maybe like, oh my goodness, I have to change my approach <laughs> because I didn't see this earlier, you know, but it's really amazing how chanting can actually help you see yourself like honestly and clearly. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because how can you possibly know the next step if you don't like take off the lens, right? I sometimes think about like, we walk through life with like these dirty glasses on, right? And sometimes to see ourselves, to see our environment, to see anything, we got to like put on our Buddha glasses, <laughs> like mm-hmm. take off the dirty old glasses, throw the Buddha glasses on and be like, oh, that's what this is. I yeah. see it truly now. I see it for what it actually is, not the way I wanted to interpret it. Yeah, exactly. And just mm-hmm. for the sake of anyone who's yes. like new to Buddhism that's listening, I I, um, I, I wanted to ask this kind of follow up on, on like what action you actually took because, mm. you know, I completely agree. Like the role of the Buddhist community and having people that you can talk to, or you hear something in a meeting or you learn how to apply a Buddhist concept, like it's, it's incomparable, right? That kind of feedback, but the actual work, like anybody can engage in that process to see things clearly Mm. just by chanting themselves, you know? So like for people who are just starting out, who don't have any Buddhist friends today, like they can just start chanting. Um, But how did you approach? um, I mean, you mentioned a little, like, you know, you, you just started chanting to like identify the source, but what Mm. did the day-to-day look like in terms of your Buddhist practice? Like, okay, I'm going to now make an effort until like this is resolved or I'm not suffering anymore. You know, just for the sake of people who are like, I'm where you were, what do I do now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, first and foremost, one of the really important pieces was learning how to really praise myself when I was chanting that like when I went to chant, it wasn't just I'm chanting to resolve an issue. I'm here to fix a problem, right? I need the solution to my problem, which is oftentimes like how we chant. And that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, But for the sake of this, kind of the encouragement that I was able to receive throughout time through different people um, in the, in the community um, was learning to chant for myself. I chanted a lot for other people, but my practice for my own life was incredibly limited. And so it started with really just chanting, right? Just saying, you know what? I'm going to set aside no matter what, 10 minutes every morning. And I'm going to say, you know what, Megan, thank you so much for not hitting the snooze button today. 
and like taking your life seriously. Megan, thank you so much for ironing your clothes last night so that you can show up to work as your best self, even though you don't feel like your best self. Like Megan, thank you so much for eating breakfast because you don't like doing that, right? Like it was those little moments of just being like, no matter how this day goes, and I'm really deeply praying no matter what that I'm successful in this day, but regardless of what I can quote unquote accomplish, Mm. I'm starting the day with value. I'm starting the day with praise. Um, and on top of that, you know, I did seek guidance a lot, um, from others in the community and saying like, Hey, like, how do I battle this? How do I think about this? Um, and I studied very deeply, you know, um, we have the writings of Nietzsche and Daishonin and writings, um, from, um, Daisaku Ikeda and all of these, um, people who, um, we can use their examples of how they battled in their own lives and to, to get wisdom, right. Um, Because again, like we mentioned before, doing it alone is really hard. You can do it alone. And you know, Nam Myoho Renge Kyo chanting is infinitely powerful. Even just that would have been enough. Um, But I was able to probably go a little faster, a little bit more thoughtfully, because I had so many people that I was starting to open my life up to um, Mm -hmm. and say, hi, (laughs) you might not know this about me. But I'm really having a hard time. Would you mind helping me out? Yeah. Yeah. I completely understand what you're saying. And that's, um, it's funny. I remember um, just like hearing somebody say this once at a Buddhist meeting, but just how like often what shows up in even the Buddhist community, it's just like a reflection of how you show up in other spaces. And so it's just like such a safe and wonderful place to like really try to behave differently or if you're like too Mm -hmm. afraid to open up in another space like try to open up here first you know or if you don't show up that much in other spaces like start showing up here or whatever you know and then like (laughs) it's uh it it will replicate itself um because you're just training your own life to like be vulnerable or be consistent or whatever you might need you know right um so I appreciate you you sharing that piece of it um because you raised study, was there anything that like you read at the time that you felt Mm. like this helped so much, or this is an idea that I really hold on to or a quote or anything? Yeah. So I think there was kind of two pieces, um, and they had to do with our inherent joy and our own happiness. Right. So one was, um, uh, it was, um, speaking to a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt, and so it was um, Daisaku Ikeda had, had um, spoken about this. And the quote by Eleanor Roosevelt says, um, we cannot cast an enduring light on other men's minds unless the light in our own minds burns with a hard, unquenchable flame. And the kind of call to action based on that quote was to really kind of wield the light of wisdom to be able to vanquish darkness for ourselves and our communities. You know, and I thought that was so beautiful. Um, and there was another quote um, within this really fantastic book called The Wisdom for Creating Happiness and Peace, um, the the second second volume um, of this um, series of works from uh, Daisaku Ikeda. And um, in it, there's a quote from uh, a speech that he made in Nepal in 1995. And that quote says, Nitrin Buddhism teaches, it is the heart that is important. When our own hearts shine like the sun, everything seems to shine brightly. Rather, we can make everything shine. When we ourselves become the sun, all shadows disappear. 
With faith like the sun, we will be free from sadness, despair, and unhappiness. We will be able to positively transform even seemingly unfortunate events into fuel for our own human revolution. When our life state changes, the way things appear to us changes too. That is the teaching of Nichiren Buddhism. Mm, wow, that's really beautiful. I know, what, isn't that uh, wonderful? What page is that on? Um, that is on page 27. It's the start of chapter eight. The heart is what's important. And is that volume one? Volume two. Two, okay, got it. Yeah, that's really, really beautiful. Do you like recall how you tried to or decided to apply that to your life? Yeah, and so... I think that so much of what I had taken away from growing up as a Buddhist was that I was supposed to be a person that did well for others. But practice for self was was missing. And I think, you know, reading a quote like this where we understand that, like, if we ourselves become the sun, or like the Eleanor Roosevelt quote, where we can, like, light our own light and really ignite our lives, that's the way that we change the environment around us. That's the way that we can fight injustice and create peace and support our friends and our families and our workplaces. Um, and I think that um, chanting with this like really deep determination that like I was gonna be the sun in my own life, mm-hmm. it was radical for me, right? This, like, this, it was truly radical self-love of like, I am going to take care of myself and I'm going to care for myself and I'm going to take all these personality traits that are beautiful and wonderful and I'm going to apply them back to myself, right? Feel empathy Mm. for myself, how much I was able to break through. Wow. Yeah. If you're comfortable (laughs) sharing, can we visit those transformations? Like, Oh my gosh, yes. Oh my goodness, yes. I love it. It's the best part of the entire story. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, like we talked about, this was not like a, an overnight thing, right? It wasn't magic. It was, it was a deep and enduring struggle um, of like peeling back the layers and starting to understand. But um, I ended up having a bit of a deadline um, on my hands because my, my boyfriend at the time had decided to come to Chicago to pursue his master's degree and asked me to move with him. And at the time I'm like, okay, like not only do I have to learn to love myself so hard, but I have to break through in every aspect of my life to really like prove to myself that like I'm capable. I'm so capable, right? And so I was chanting for um, my boss's happiness and for my workplace to be just absolute tranquility. I was um, chanting for just abounding love in my relationship. And I'm like, okay, this has to happen before I leave Memphis and move to Chicago. It has to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, on my fine, so I was, you know, was, you know, trying really hard with my boss and I wasn't breaking through. And it was really challenging. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll look for a new job as well. And that way, maybe, I, maybe I'll win in a new place. And... Um, a full year of applying for jobs, I didn't get a single one. Um, my relationship just kept getting more and more challenging um, and more and more painful the more that I asserted my love for myself, right? It was like I started to see this gap of like, oh, I care so much about myself and like, you're not on the same page right now. Like, you don't love me as hard as I love me. And um, 
In my final day in Memphis, we were packing up the car and I had my last meeting with my boss before I moved and I couldn't take the job with me. And so um, this is our final meeting and I was going to be unemployed in about 20 minutes. And um, I came into that meeting just after chanting a lot and really deeply determined to express so much appreciation for her. Mm. Because at the end of the day, if it hadn't been for our circumstance, I probably wouldn't have taken that hard look at myself. I probably wouldn't have had the impetus to really transform. And so I, in a way, really kind of owed her um, for creating an environment that was so challenging that I had to like take a step back and go like, okay, something to transform, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was ready for that conversation. I was ready to be like, I appreciate you so much. And the meeting started and immediately she just started to cry. And she's like, Megan, thank you so much for everything you've done over the past three years. And like, literally this woman had never said thank you to me once, not once in three years. And she's thanking me. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do without you. This Nothing will be the same without you. You've been there since the beginning. And it was just so much appreciation pouring out of her life for me. And I hung up the phone kind of bewildered. And 20 minutes later, I got a call with a job offer. Oh my goodness. Literally 20 minutes later. And like, we were packing the car. We were moving to Chicago right then and there. And I was going to start in a week. And it was just this amazing um, proof in my life that like, I had to appreciate myself so deeply and I had to learn to appreciate her role because it's my life, right? Mm. No one does anything to us. We are the protagonists of our lives. And so the care that she showed for me was just a reflection of the transformation I had undergone. And it was like that moment of breakthrough, like allowed everything else to open up. Mm. And um, we got to Chicago and about two weeks later, I realized I deserve absolute, unbelievable, fairy tale kind of love. I deserve so much love in my life. And I deserve somebody who chooses me absolutely. And um, literally two weeks into our new lease in Chicago, I I broke it off with my boyfriend Hmm. and moved out and started my new world in the middle of COVID as a single woman, but like so like heartbroken, but so deeply convinced um, that I deserved everything because I could love myself hard enough. Um, and you know, he's a wonderful human. We're actually, we're actually still very close friends. Um, and it's because at the end of the day, it, it wasn't again, anything that anybody did to me. Mm-hmm. I had to learn to love myself. So my environment could reflect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. These like, uh, these are <laughs> wild, uh, examples. Cause I, it just to, just to sort of like, uh, play back what I'm what I'm hearing yeah yeah it's like almost as if you um you're like in a situation where your environment or these people in your environment are not able to fulfill your needs or mm. not make you feel good even though you feel like you're giving and giving and giving and like either being mistreated or not being recognized or not you know being able to move to the next step or whatever it might be and then like you start chanting to really it sounds like treasure and praise yourself. And like the story could have ended where they all are like, (laughs) 
they all change and everybody gives you what you need and that was it but the fact that like you're <laughs> you're closing these chapters and moving on to the next thing with fresh eyes is so much more real you know what I mean because yeah. it's like um yeah it's just such a testament to to having the courage to not look to your environment for your needs being fulfilled which is mm-hmm. such a hard thing to do so anyway oh, sorry absolutely. I'm just reacting <laughs> oh no 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 that's that's 100% what it is yeah mm-hmm. yeah without a doubt and it's amazing because I think what's continued in my life is even deeper proof that it wasn't about the people. It was about myself because Mm -hmm. my current job, I've had three different managers. Like it's just been a lot of change in two years at my current job. And all of them have been so good to me. Mm -hmm. And all of them have built, uh, you know, I guess we built together really, um, a lot of trust and a lot of care. And, um, even though I'm not like being the same do-gooder that I was historically, like I still find avenues to do work that's meaningful. And I'm so respected in my profession now um, in a way that I wasn't. And it's just like, it's amazing to be like, wow, this wasn't actually about the boss. It was about me. Mm. Yeah. And I, what you're also describing is, um, you know, we've, we've definitely discussed karma before on the podcast, Mm. but for anyone who's new, like there you know, karma is something we believe we can change using Buddhism. And like, it might show up as these sort of patterns or circumstances in your life. But like, what's amazing about it is once you dig in and you transform something, like in this case, this dynamic or pattern of bosses, then you're done. And like, you can move on to another (laughs) kind of karma, like you actually can change it, you know, not that there isn't going to be something next, but that's just life. Um, So that's really amazing. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's really, I mean, look, there's still challenges. I'm not going to sit here and be like, wow, my life is so perfect now that I love myself. Like it's easier loving myself. And a lot of the deep kind of this karma stuff that you're talking about has transformed. Um, and when obstacles do arise, I can face them with a lot more confidence in what I'm able to accomplish because I overcame something that was so enormous, you know, like such a boulder Mm. that um, there's still challenges. Life is still hard, but I have the tools. Yeah, 100 percent. Yes. So something I'm curious about is that you mentioned in the very beginning that like uh, growing up Buddhist or maybe for somebody else, this doesn't come from growing up Buddhist, but they just have this kind of desire to be a contributive person and they put that above everything else. Um, Buddhism is about caring for others and practicing for others, as you mentioned, right? But like in tandem with practicing for oneself, like it can't be one or the other. It's not like Mm -hmm. sacrificial altruism or anything like that, which (laughs) we have heard doesn't work. Um, however, I I feel like underneath that pattern, there is, um, how do I say this? Like, like for instance, imagine somebody who doesn't have that impulse to care for others, right? Like they're, they're not like the person who's trying to do good all the time, but they still struggle with like, I care about how I'm perceived. Like I am still Mm. a people pleaser, maybe not like to the point that I'm trying to change the world (laughs) in this positive way. Like it can happen to anyone is what I'm trying to say. Like it it can, that like core life tendency can exist in any of us, whether, you know, Mm. so I kind of wanted to differentiate between those two things. Like it's not just like you give to others and you don't give to yourself, but like you care so much about 
how people perceive you. And then you make decisions based on that rather than like making decisions based on your own self-worth or like what's really in your heart. You know what I mean? Totally. So that said, I'm just curious, one, like what your reaction to that is. Mm-hmm. And two, if um if you could sort of like define or kind of crystallize like um what you landed on as a better alternative to showing up <laughs> as this person that wants to look in a certain way, you know, what, what yeah. it is that you like, you know, in a sentence, like landed on that Buddhism gives you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think actually it ties really well back to what we were talking about at the beginning anyways, that our personality is our personality and there's mm. nothing wrong with who we are in our traits, right? My traits of like, quote unquote altruism, like I, I care a lot and I'm an empath and what happens in other people's lives, like I feel it very deeply and I, it's just kind of who I am. Right. And it's not a good thing or a bad thing. Cause as we saw because of a low self-esteem, because I didn't value myself, because I was a people pleaser, those things didn't serve me in my life or serve anybody else. Right. It was, it was somewhat ego-based because I had to build myself up to make up for the lack of esteem that I had for myself. Mm. Um, I think we can put that into any context though, right? Any personality trait that any of the listeners have as just their basic personality, who they are as a human being, it's wonderful. Be that person. But if you see that those traits aren't serving you, where is it coming from? And for anybody out there who's like also a very deep people pleaser, like, let's understand that that actually transforms the way that we show up for ourselves and others. Mm. You know, does that make sense? A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think I, that's like what felt like was ha- like right. something in my head I wasn't <laughs> able to clarify, but it's exactly, it's exactly that. Yeah. It's like creating value. I mean, soka means value mm. creation, right? Like, right. If you chant, then you can use all of you to create value in like a healthy, sustainable way for yourself and other people which Mm. is the goal. Absolutely. And I think that the way I can show up now, um, having like seen myself a little bit more, seen myself in the the real mirror of my life, not just like, does my hair look good? Does my makeup look good? Like, how's my life looking right now? (laughs) Um, That, you know, when I show up for others, it's so much more authentic, Mm. right? Because it can come from a place where I do care a lot about what's going on in their lives. And I do want to be a light in their lives and a positive force and be able to support them. But it's not because I want them to like me. I feel like you've shared so much already. Thank you so much. There's just, Mm -hmm. yes, so many great insights and food for thought in this whole conversation. But I do always like to uh, end with a piece of advice. So if you could give one piece of advice (laughs) to anyone who's listening, who is new to chanting and maybe um, currently struggling to show up as they really are or with people pleasing, um, Mm. you know, what piece of advice would you give them? Yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost, like try chanting, just, just try it, right? Just say three minutes a day for two weeks, five minutes a day for two weeks, 10 minutes a day, whatever works for your life and for um, kind of how you can challenge yourself. And in that chanting, you know, we don't have to limit ourselves at all in what we chant about. Um, And I think as people pleasers and as people who are um, 
so heavily focused on the way we present to others, similar to me, like really starting by praising yourself, mm-hmm. really starting by praising all of the light that already exists within you. Because when you praise it, it comes out. I want to leave you today with the following words from Buddhist philosopher Daisaku Ikeda on happiness. He writes, Both ourselves and others matter. Caring only about one's own happiness is selfish. Claiming to care only about the happiness of others is hypocritical. Real joy lies in both ourselves and others becoming happy together. On that note, if you're new to chanting and would like to learn more, we have plenty of resources at bootability.org. And as always, if you'd like to get connected to your local Buddhist community, you can always email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.